0: first law is as follows. A robot may not harm a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Number two, a robot must obey orders given it by qualified personnel unless those orders violate rule number one. In other words, a robot can't be ordered to kill a human being.
1: On the weekend of the 22nd of October, the Barbican Centre will once again play host to the Battle of Ideas Festival. The weekend long event will feature two days of high level, thought provoking public debate, and within that, a variety of topics will be discussed within a variety of different formats of discussion.
0: The primitive forms of artificial intelligence we already have have proved very useful. But I think the development of full artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race.
1: And with this mini-series, what we're hoping to do is showcase some of the topics covered and the people who will be covering them.
0: Humans, who are limited by slow biological evolution, could compete and would be superseded.
1: Hello. Hello, Anders. How's it going? Ah.
0: Oh, Good morning. I can- I can hear you, you're somewhat noisy.
1: This is Anders Sandberg,
0: a senior James Martin researcher at the Future of Humanity Institute at Oxford University.
1: And at this year's festival, Anders will be speaking at a session entitled Why Robot Can We Teach AI to be Ethical?
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah, you were overshooting, I think, your mic or something. Too, too
1: early, too early. I started by asking Anders why now is the best time to talk about ethical AI.
0: Uh, So, when we make machines, we realize that safety is quite important. We don't want uh, our cars to be too dangerous. Uh, We don't want uh, heavy industrial machinery to squish people too easily. So, we try to design it to be safe. And quite often, of course, we want our machines uh, to do beneficial things. Now, in the field of artificial intelligence, the big challenge has been making something that is smart, making something that is capable of doing something smart. And the idea that it must be safe and beneficial, yeah, it's been kind of secondary. Obviously, if you want to sell some software, you want uh, customers to think this is the greatest software ever, so it has to, to be somewhat beneficial. But safety has not really been a high priority. And that is probably wrong because, obviously, intelligence is a superpower. It's just as uh, powerful and dangerous as having a great physical strength for speed.
1: As a sort of um, philosopher, how would you define an ethic or or, uh, or a moral? How would you define it? And, and do we have any idea that the sort of psychology or neuroscience that underpins them? And I'm not sure if that's sort of too far out of your... No,
0: it's, it's a great question. Uh, so I like to distinguish between morals and ethics morals is what you have your behavior your policy in different situations and it might be something you just do because your mother told you or it might be something you have considered a bit ethics is carefully considering what morals should I have and then you can of course get over into the philosophy and start thinking about what is ethics really and now you're in meta ethics and so on but really In the end, it's about what actions are good and the ethics then gets involved in questions like, what do I mean by good? Normally, when we act, we do most things out of habit. We don't think very carefully at all. So we just repeat earlier actions or actions we've seen others do that look pretty good. Sometimes, however, we get into a quandary. Should I do this or should I do that? Quite often, we have intuitions. And very, very often, just emotional, quick responses, and many of them underpin what we would say is our moral uh, views. We are disgusted by some behavior. We're outraged by an injustice, uh, and we feel good when we do something good. Uh, in the brain, that is partially run by the emotional systems. But you, of course, can do calculations, you can think about, well, if I give that money to the beggar, he will be happy, I will feel good, but maybe he will spend it on drinks and uh, and not get a better life. What do I know about the social situation? So then we need the more cognitive part of the frontal lobes. If you do a brain scan of somebody trying to solve a moral puzzle, you see different parts of the brain getting activated. So we have these kind of quick moral intuitions and the more elaborate thinking. In the end, of course, it's going to depend on what you have learned before and how good you are at thinking about it. Uh, Rule number three a robot must protect its own existence, after all, it's an expensive piece of equipment, uh, unless that violates rules one or two. A robot must cheerfully go into self-destruction if it is in order to follow an order or to save a human life.
1: Lovely, and you sort of touched upon something—the uh, the, the sort of the, the idea of, of sort of uh, moral relativism versus moral absolutism. Where do you kind of sit on that, I suppose, that spectrum and and why is that spectrum, those ideas, why are they important when thinking about sort of artificial intelligence machines?
0: So moral relativists say that, oh, everything is relative. Uh, What's good for me might not be good for you and uh, what we cherish in Western culture might not be appreciated in other cultures and that's right for them. I think that is a very unsatisfactory view because there are many moral behaviors that are inconsistent. They don't actually work very well in real life. Uh, and the, quite a lot of uh, cultures don't seem to function as well as other cultures in some respects, even according to their own aims. So it seems like just saying that if morality is just whatever society says, it's too weak. Obviously, there is a big social aspect, but uh, there also seem to be important issues of consistency. And philosophically, it might turn out that there actually are certain ways of behaving for humans, or even intelligent beings that are actually better for all beings. Now, when you're trying to make a moral machine, you have this problem that it starts out empty. You need to put something into its uh, code to make it behave. So do I put in some rules about what is appropriate behavior? And many philosophers would say if somebody has put in the rules and they cannot be changed by the machine, it's not really a moral agent in the first place. It cannot think about what it's doing as right or wrong. It will just do it. So it actually has to be learning and adaptive and able to consider maybe I should change my programming and behavior. Which is, after all, what we want intelligent machines to be able to do. We can't tell them everything about the world because we want them to learn the world for us. So that leads to this challenge of coming up with, can you learn morality in a useful way In if you're a piece of software?
1: And just as you were saying that, something that struck me, because obviously, you know, this is important when thinking about AI, but but surely there is also variation within human beings themselves like that there are certain people you know if you if you look at the sort of banality of evil this idea that yeah you know a lot of the the world's sort of horrible atrocities are carried out because these people are very suggestible is there is there an argument to say that You know, maybe humans aren't always sort of running on their own kind of moral and ethical codes, and they're actually running on moral and ethical codes that have been implanted in them by society or or someone else. We
0: we certainly do an awful lot of things, not because we think it's good, but just because uh, mum told us so. Uh, And many people don't reflect very carefully about their actions. So it's very easy to just do what everybody else is doing. And of course, that is a real risk. But there is a cost to think very carefully about your moral codes. Part of it is that it's very hard to do well. Another cost is of course that now you're going to be different from others. You're going to have a harder time working with other people. If you have some weird moral code that you invented. So generally there is a trade-off. You don't want to update your moral codes too much because a lot of wise people and society in general have been thinking about it. But you must be able to think for yourself. This is hard for humans. It requires a lot of character. It requires a lot of intelligence. And now we'll try to implement that in a poor machine.
1: What is the sort of current setup we have for giving uh, robots? Or, you know, if you talk if you talk about the driverless car, I mean, I assume we're kind of giving it some sort of you know, moral or ethical intelligence, what is, the, what is the current setup? do you know?
0: Well, vehicle engineers are very good at safety engineering, which means make a machine that if it's getting close to a situation that could be dangerous, it turns off, it slows down, it breaks or you know, wears away. And if you do your safety engineering right, there is not going to be any ethics involved at all. You're just going to have an autonomous car that stops when it's going to run into something. Which is perfectly fine, but no moral issue. Morality only comes into play when bad things will happen and uh, you cannot avoid it. So the popular example is a trolley problem where a trolley is moving down a track and might hit one or five people. Should you switch the track so it only hits one. And autonomous cars obviously could run into situations like that. But even making a left turn, to some extent, requires being careful about what you're doing to your passengers, as well as causing risk to other in the cars and understanding other cars. That is very hard. The vehicle engineers and people working on autonomous vehicles right now, they find the left turns really, really tricky. Uh, and I think that's where it is at. Right now, you have a few explicit rules. It's not like the philosopher in a part of a car starts thinking, what would Aristotle do at this left turn?
1: But something I really wanted to know was how these discussions are currently being carried out. From the outside it would seem that there are very much two main camps with anxious philosophers on one hand and enthusiastic members of tech industry on the other. But are they coming together for these kind of discussions and if not, should they?
0: it's very easy as a philosopher to write a paper arguing that the autonomous car should do this or that, or uh, saying that, oh, and the moral robot, I define it like this, and this is what it's supposed to do. The philosopher doesn't need to write the code. I've seen a real computer engineer listening to philosophers just shaking their heads because the ideas on the, the whiteboard are absolutely impossible to code into any computer. Meanwhile, of course, the computer engineers, they're very keen on actually making stuff, making things work. And uh, quite often uh, they don't even understand the technical language of the philosophers, just like many philosophers don't get the technology and the issues. However, there are people trying to bridge it. Uh, Partially, this is because some of the people uh, like our our institute, the Future Humanity Institute, we have gotten a bit concerned about the risks of very powerful AI. So we started discussing that and we got a bit of pushback from the engineers who were worried that we're scaring the public about killer robots, that uh, this might be bad for grants or the image of the field. And we realized that. It's not entirely wrong to be worried about it. So, we instead sought out to engage with them. We try to go to the big AI and neural network conferences and actually sit down and talk to them and explain both our concerns and then start getting into the really interesting interdisciplinary work on how do you actually solve these problems. So, it's possible to bridge. But that requires philosophers to learn a fair bit about machine learning and the engineers and the software people to realize that "Mm, some of these soft areas actually might be quite applicable. And, and
1: just sort of finally on the on this point so what what, what is your kind of uh personal approach or the approach of um, the future of humanities institute to, to tackling this question to to try and sort of doing this in the most sensible and the, and the most safe way possible
0: So a lot of it has to do with first outlining what is actually the problems and then trying to see, can you make a stab at fixing them in different ways? So for example, one problem is just demonstrating that there could be risk. So we're making toy models in software demonstrating that even fairly dumb pieces of software can behave in ways that would be somewhat scary if it occurred in real life, like uh, deceiving observers and and grabbing resources because they might be useful. Another part which is a big issue is value alignment. How do you make a machine that can learn human values or even part of the human value system? Given that uh, philosophically and artistically we've been trying to express that for thousands of years with mixed success. So that is a really interesting technical issue, but there are also strategy issues. Who should you talk to? Should there be ethical com- committees uh, on uh, handling requests for making really smart and powerful AI? What kind of governance would you like to have? And right now, this is totally premature. We don't need an ethical committee yet for the AI systems, but we might want to start talking about what would it look like? What would actually be acceptable and doable and practical? So we're getting involved in a fair bit of uh, policy and standard setting. Technology is certainly, in a sense, neutral. It just does what you make it do, except, of course, that many forms of technology act up in interesting ways, whether that is through climate change, which is an accidental side effect of combustion, or artificial intelligence that might act on our behalf in ways we didn't intend at all. It's wrong to say that technology is totally neutral, but we should be aware that we can shape it a fair bit. One of the best things about having the discussion about artificial intelligence right now, before we actually have very powerful artificial intelligence, is that in such early days we can actually shape it a bit, we can start defining what do we actually want to achieve. If we wait until we already have very smart and powerful computers, there are going to be a lot of companies and vested interest that already have them, and they are not going to change. And of course, uh, by that point, we might have so little time to figure out that, uh uh-oh, this wasn't what we wanted, or we need way more safeguards, then it's too late. So I'd rather have a slightly too early discussion and keep it going. It's going to have to be ongoing as we shape an artificial intelligence society. Uh, because that's the only way of actually getting the human voice involved.
1: To find out more about the festival head over to www.battleofideas.org.uk